Hi, I'm Charlotta from the Mindfulness Clinic, and I'm really excited to have my dear friend here, Melinda Overall, who's a nutritionist extraordinaire and also a counsellor, but she can tell us all about that. I first met uh, Melinda um, when she was doing a very interesting talk about busting some of those Food, food myths, mm. which was really interesting. So lovely to have you on the show. Um, share your wisdom, girl. Thank you, Charlotte. Um, uh, there, that's a very big call, my wisdom. <laughs> yes. um, uh, so I guess I, one of the things that you might be interested in is how I came to be a counsellor as yes. well as a nutritionist. It's um, uh, two quite disparate areas in, in most people's view I would think mm-hmm. um, but when I started working as a nutritionist I realized that a lot of the eating habits that people formed and some of the struggles that they have with food were very deeply related to emotional stuff that maybe they hadn't dealt with very well or, or they were struggling with and they were using food as a, as a way to numb some of those emotions or um, as an escape from some of the stuff that they were, um, you know, living with and struggling with. So what I decided to do was go and get some. And can I? So that was your own experience too, wasn't it? It was my own experience. Yeah, it was. Um, so so I went, wanted to to do some counselling work to be able to better support my clients. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was my personal experience. Um, I had had um, uh, pretty much most of my adult life until about 16 years ago, I was obese and um, decided that I needed to uh, do something about that. And so um, I know that a lot of my eating back then was about suppressing some of my own emotions and um, numbing out the feelings because it was easier to numb at that point. Um, and, you know, to do it with food is quite delicious and yummy. So it kind of is one of those weird things. And I guess... We, um, what happens? And it's also unconscious, isn't it? It's, it's just totally a unconscious. Process. So it's not a choice, really. It's no. just what we do when we don't know better. That's right. And one of the things, too, about using any substance or any behavior to numb, um, the majority of things that we do, we can actually live without. So if somebody has, say, an addiction to alcohol or to gambling or to sex or whatever it is, we can do without those things, but yeah. you can't do without food. And yeah. so, and you're confronted with it, you know, probably it five, six times a day, every single day. Mm. And you know, walk down any street in Sydney, and there's you know, food places galore. So it's just constantly you're constantly bombarded with this stuff that you're using as a crutch, yeah. and it's not always um, helpful. Endless temptation, absolutely. And so, having to do the work around what was going on for me was part of the the um, my capacity to lose weight. So. Um, it was a 60 kilo weight loss in 11 months. Yeah, that's um, incredible. Once I sort of got my head into gear and you and I were having a little chat about that earlier today, about mm. it being that thing, you know, having lost weight and gained weight and lost weight and gained weight and doing that rebound weight and weight cycling mm. thing. Um, the time that I actually hit this one, it literally felt like there was a switch that had been yeah. flipped internally which was irreversible isn't it like it, it was that commitment you knew 100 percent. it was irreversible it was mm. this is the time this is the moment that I am going to make a significant change in my life and yeah. people would have to come with me or be dragged and um and basically that's what happened so mm-hmm. um a couple of people got dragged along the way but they were glad that they came along for that bumpy ride mm-hmm. um but yeah it was it was literally that that space that this is the time this is the right time you're in the right frame of mind 
it's all systems go and that's really where I was. So, yeah, it was a – funnily enough, I say to people now that losing that weight was actually far easier than maintaining the weight once once the right. weight went. And why is that? What Tell us what, what why was that so hard? Um, and, you know, and so then I, I – I guess some of the stuff is that emotional hurdles keep coming. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you're a hurdler and you're, you're running a, a hurdle, you kind of know that every time you go in a race, if it's X number of metres, that race, you know that you're going to jump that many hurdles. And so as a, as a performance athlete, you get ready to put your feet in certain positions to jump every hurdle. But in life, they're not consistent and so they come from left field, right of fields, and you get different hurdles at different times and different heights. And, and then so you found that when you had a hurdle, you went revert re- 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 back to your sometimes old patterns. Is it would, that what you're saying? Yeah, so sometimes yeah, right. I'd go back to those old patterns because this was easier. Right. Um, and so it was about finding ways of um, managing those hurdles. Some of them we know, you know, Christmas and birthdays and anniversaries right. and those sorts of things. And yeah, Easter. There's just a lot of food around. There's a lot of food around. So those those sort of mm-hmm. celebratory hurdles yes. come up. But and there's the those, social expectation that yeah. you eat a lot. And more. then there's those other hurdles where, you know, you don't feel great at work or someone in your family dies or mm-hmm. something happens. Um, and it's very easy to sort of revert to those um, old behaviours. And But what happened for me was I became much more aware of when I was moving back into those old patterns and was able to unhook from those a little bit more readily than I was earlier. So, um, so did you have kind of like a, like a, you know, a five kilo window or did you like, what, what, what kind of, how did you manage it? Did you say I have to be around this or what was yeah, your it? Yeah, it was, it was usually about a five kilo window that, you know, now it's for me, it's a little bit less than that. Yeah. And I bet I, you know, to be honest, I did lose my way again. Um, I broke my ankle, um, about, nine months or so before my mum died and then my mum was very sick and and I know that I used because I couldn't exercise as much as I had been and then with my mum being unwell I um I reverted back and so I did put on um quite a a bit of weight um over the last little while um so I probably put on about 19 kilos again which was way beyond where I was comfortable and so it was that moment where I went, wait a minute, what am I doing here? And I had to go back and think about where I was putting my energy and what wasn't I working on and go back and work on those things so that food didn't become um, this you know, thing that was trying to support me when that's not the function of food. Food is fuel, you know, and, and so I had to come back. At, yeah, I had to come back to come to back to that place. So, you know, people always think that, think that nutritionists and counsellors have it always together. But, of course, we, we get confronted with We also work with, with what we need yeah, to learn, right? And right. you're certainly a, a yeah. sort of a, an example of that. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, in terms of your own journey, that's obviously informed your choices in, in, in doing the counselling, for instance. Mm. What are you particularly passionate about from what you've learnt from your own journey, but also in terms of what you're seeing out there that people need? Yeah, so um, there are a few things. I think one is being able to do a bit of combination work around the why of food for some people rather than just saying, here's your nutrition protocol, off you go and and do it. Um, But let's talk about what's happening around food for you as a client. Um, Also, um, I think more and more we're moving into that individualization 
of um, dietary protocols. So what mm-hmm. suits me isn't going to suit you. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's a really important thing. And I think for me, one of the big things that, that I struggle with is uh, food fads and dietary fads, if you like, um, and um, a whole bunch of people who aren't necessarily you know, properly trained in nutrition giving dietary advice, generic dietary advice um, in blogs and so forth where yeah. um, they've lost some weight and then they share their secret to everybody yeah. to make some money or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. So, And they give very um, uh, a sort of blanket, one-size-fits-all approach mm-hmm. to, to Just eat um, pineapples food. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, just eat pineapples, just eat whatever it is, yes. you know, potatoes. Uh, and for me that doesn't – that's not necessarily going to work for individuals who have specific uh, health needs, specific conditions, um, don't like certain foods. I mean, if I tell you to eat pineapples but you don't like pineapples, it doesn't really – it's not a not a healthy thing to do, is it? Because no. you're going to be struggling with that as well. Yeah. So that or becomes another one hurdle. thing can never be good, right? That's right. So, um, so I, I think um, for me it's about making sure that um, my clients and the people who attend my talks – I try not to be prescriptive in my talks but – in both of those scenarios, I try to give information that will at least spark some interest um, in understanding food a little bit better mm-hmm. so that people can go back and be informed, uh, be informed mm-hmm. properly, um, you know, with, with strong evidence behind it rather than this is the new latest fad, you yeah. know, um, let's just eat pineapple and only drink pineapple juice, for example. Yes. Yeah. So they're probably the things that I'm most passionate about. I mean, in, in terms of my work as well, in terms of my focus, I particularly like working with mental health and gut health, and that's predominantly because of the very strong connection between gut health and mental health, and that sort of sits nicely with my two modalities as well. Yes. Yeah. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? What are some of the key things that everyone should kind of be aware of at this point around the links? Well, uh, it's, uh, we could talk about this for hours, um, but for me one of the big things at the moment is this um, – carbohydrates being given a very bad name at the moment that carbohydrates are evil um, really good whole grains um, provide some really great fiber for the gut and give the microbiome so the bugs that live in the gut some really good food to to innovate the gut so they we feed them and they feed us with some some of their waste product basically the short chain fatty acid that feeds our gut and um and that helps the gut to do its work properly. And if the gut's not working properly, the brain doesn't work properly. And when you think that um, 95% of our serotonin is made in the gut, um, you know, the, the neurotransmitter that gives us that normal mood, that's, uh, you know, it's quite significant that we've got the uh, gut that functions. We need to have that gut functioning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's probably the, the, the big thing is that um, that, that two way. Um, communication axis between mm. the brain and the gut. I think can no, we can no longer deny that it, that no. it happens, and that actually there's more traffic going upwards than there is downwards, mm. right? Yeah, very very much so. So mm. um, you know, we got. I guess it's that whole sense of you know the gut feeling, that gut intuition that we've kind of not really understood before, but we're starting starting to understand that more and more that it is feedback going from the gut to the brain. Um, so yeah, the, the whole thinking that the gut is now probably the first brain and that the, the thing in our head is comes in 
secondary, sort of managing. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps the, even third after the heart. But maybe very likely, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's managing some of the, the signals that it's getting. Yes, trying to where the signals come. Yeah, yes. yeah. So it's the body kind of giving us a sense of things aren't right or things need to slow down. And I think we ignore that so much. I mean, mm-hmm. not just in the, in the gut-brain axis, but, you know, when we, when we are tired, we ignore it and we push through. And people have lost that connection to the body itself, which is, you know, about the work that you do, really. Yeah. 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 Dear body. Dear body. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I think also um, in terms of the nutrition stuff, it's, it is about fueling the body the best way we possibly can. And I think... Um, and I would say nourishing. Nourishing, right? Because yeah, there's a danger when we say fueling. It's like yeah. we, it's kind of under something. It's like a machine and it, we forget then that it's a living organism. Right, and I, and I get that. And then that's my point about the pineapple juice. If I tell you yes. to eat pineapple juice but you don't like it, it's not going to be nourishing at all because it's going to, you're going to be suffering through that consumption of it. Yeah. The reason I use the term fuel is because often people can conceptualize that a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I say to you, if you go and fill up your car with petrol, there's a finite capacity to how much fuel you can put in your car. Bodies aren't like that. Bodies have the capacity to hold more and more fuel, mm-hmm. which are fat cells. Extend the tank and every time it, you tank up. Yeah, it's like this. if, you, if your car could have a, a balloon that would keep filling up, mm. Um, but it, but the body isn't like that. So if I liken, I'm it just to now feel, seeing these big cars with these enormous tanks mm-hmm. sitting out of the sides, yeah, like <laughs> like a cow with an udder. Almost. Yeah, right. But but that's why I use that. And also the other reason that I use that analogy is because a, a lot of my clients struggle with bringing a whole host of veggies into their to their diet and and sort of crowding out some of the stuff that's not particularly helpful. And often that stuff that's really refined carbohydrates, high in sugar. And not particularly helpful. And if I use the analogy of a car, and, I've, and I um, and I talk about, and, and men and women both like their cars, so it's not particularly you know gender specific. But um, if you if you have um, if you have a car, and it's a reasonable car that's cost a bit of money, and you've saved for it, and it's the car that you've wanted, people tend to want to look after it, and so. I always ask the question, are you putting the ethanol fuel in it or are you putting the high-octane 98 fuel in it? And often they'll say, I'm putting the high-octane 98 fuel in it because I want the car to work well and to last a long time. So Mm -hmm. I want this longevity, especially because I've paid this much for it. Mm -hmm. And so I can liken that back to the food that they're eating. And if I ask them then if they wouldn't put ethanol, which is predominantly sugar-based, um, in the car, what's the purpose of putting the refined carbohydrates and the chocolates and the lollies and, and that sort of fuel in? So, And that's why I, I, I liken it to fuel more than nourishment because I think nourishment comes from food, absolutely, but I think nourishment comes from so much other stuff yeah. like social connection and rest and exercise, um, those sorts of things. So I mm. think for me nourishment is a little bit broader, which is probably just out, a bit of semantics between us. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I know that you do this talk that I, I, I mentioned that I really bits. enjoy yeah. because I think, I suppose, you know, being perhaps a socialist at heart, I know that's a dangerous thing to say, but um, certainly wanting, you know, thinking there's some problems in our capitalistic model. Mm. Um, we're being tricked, aren't we? We're being tricked. Um, 
all the time for I remember you sort of showing that you know these snakes these you know lollies yeah, called snakes yeah, or something yeah. and yep. saying oh there's no fat in these right so we think well that must be then good for me yeah there's so, so much uh, manipulation I think I think I think there's two things that are happening I think we basically a lot of our I don't think we have currency in our nutrition science when it comes to driving um, some of our dietary guidelines. You know, people will strike me down for that, but science takes a long time to yes, get from yes. a theory to into practice. Yes, yes. Um, so I think that we do need to um, be mindful of that and, and recognise that new science is coming out almost daily in mm. terms of nutrition science. So I think mm. some of the stuff that we've, we've, um, we've understood hasn't been updated like the food pyramid, like the food pyramid. Classic, I, you know, it? it still has grains as the bulky food, and mm-hmm. I, you know, six serves of grains is the base of the food pyramid. And I think that we need to have probably vegetables sitting down there, and, and grains can move up a little bit. Um, but also things like you know, people think that skim uh, skim milk is much better for them than whole cream milk, and mm-hmm. and whole cream milk is actually a pretty low fat food anyway. And um, there's a whole lot of information that we have around. Um, skim milk being better for our cholesterol and better for our heart health and the truth is that um, you know uh, whole cream milk use is not actually associated with heart disease Um, so we're seeing that evidence more and more but it's current and it's you know it's five years or six years since they've updated the dietary guidelines so we're, Mm -hmm. we're a little bit behind that and then of course you get the marketing teams in to tell us how amazing um our lollies are and so you get a bag of lollies that have a a stamp on them that says 99% fat free and yet you have a bag of carrots that say 99% fat free in the soup in the in the fruit and veggie section and how do people actually tell especially if they're little people how do they discern that one is better than the other mm-hmm. and particularly with some children not even knowing anything about how, where carrots come from oh that's right, right. i mean yeah, they don't have a, a framework yeah. from yes yeah. a lot of people have lost that connection to food as well yes. they they don't understand the provenance of food who grew this where did it come from how long has it been sitting in the fridge all of that sort of mm-hmm. stuff there was a study done um in the uk and they 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 surveyed young adults so i think up to about 25 and um, they didn't know, the majority of them didn't know, I think it was like 80%, don't quote me with the figures, but about 80% of the people didn't know that an egg came from a chicken or that bacon came from um, a pig right. or that milk came from a cow. Right. So we've lost, we've disconnected. So when yeah. you have that disconnect. But then you really rely on what it says on the packet, You don't do you? rely on what it says on the packet. And, you know, we have this thing called truth in labelling in, in Australia um, but that doesn't mean to say that we can't sort of bend the truth a little bit mm-hmm. um, uh, because, you know, you can say 99.9% fat-free or 99% fat-free on a bag of lollies. And the truth is if I don't eat, if I don't, sorry, if I don't use all of the energy in that particular bag of food, fuel, um, then it turns to fat. And people forget that, that you don't, fat in its, of itself doesn't make you fat. Anything that you eat in excess will make you to fat. So the three ca- um, the three macronutrients, carbohydrates, um, fats, and proteins, are the only place we get calories or kilojoules, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a basically the energy currency mm-hmm. in the body um, in terms of food. Uh, if we eat more kilojoules than we're going to use, 
then it's got to get stored somewhere and get stored yeah. as fat. Yeah. So saying something it's like is, if we buy too many groceries, right? Yeah. They'll be piling up in the fridge. <laughs> That's exactly right. And then, yeah, and how do you get through them? Yes. You know, you've got to somehow get rid of all of that food in mm-hmm. the fridge. So the same sort of thing because mm-hmm. fat is just an energy store. Mm-hmm. And so um, people get confused about that. So that what happens is I think that marketers buy into the fear of consumers and if you're scared of getting fat and you've been told forever that fat will make you fat and then you see a bag of lollies that says 99% fat free, you're going to go for that bag of lollies because mm. it's 99% fat free. Mm. Um, you may feel hungry soon after eating some of those lollies because it's not satiating and um, it's very you know high glycemic index or glycemic load, which means we churn through it fairly fast. Yeah, do you want to yeah. just say a little bit about Because I actually think this is an extremely simple kind of concept and extremely useful when it comes to, you know, thinking about food. Which bits that? The, the, the gly- glycemic index? Yes. So the glycemic index is basically looking at how how rapidly, what, what impact does eating particular food have on your blood sugar? Yeah. So it increases if, if you have... Um, white bread or some sugar or a medjool date, something like that, you'll have a very rapid increase. Spike. Spike. Mm-hmm. Um, and Which means you have the drop, isn't it? You, yeah, so you'll have an in, a quick insulin release to try and manage that. But because it's it's got no fat or protein in it, you'll get a very rapid drop in your sugar. So very soon after that, you'll be having a down and you'll be like, I think I need some more energy to get me back up to that high. You'll feel a bit tired. You'll feel a little bit tired. You're going to fall asleep and then you'll naturally want more sugary food. Then I'm going to go and look for that muffin or that hot chocolate in the afternoon to give me that boost again. Um, Whereas if you have um, low glycemic foods, they tend to have not as steep a peak Mm -hmm. and a much um, steadier. steadier decline in terms of the the because you will your blood your blood sugars will drop back down, and because the the body likes to be kept in a fairly um, narrow band in terms of blood sugars, sort of a little bit of a sine wave if you like, uh, and so n- avoiding that really strong peak and then troughing is really important in terms of keeping you feeling well, stopping you from getting headaches. Um, and craving the wrong craving foods. Craving the wrong foods, those sorts of things. So so what are some of those good foods then that are slow in the um, sugar release? Well, things like nuts and seeds are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, having anything with um, loads of fibre will actually help as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so vegetables. Yeah. Um, uh, whole grains uh, like brown rice and buckwheat, um, quinoa, oats rolled oats those sorts of things and um something that's just eluding me right for the minute that i was uh, legumes as well so while there's some carbohydrates in there huge amounts of fiber and a bit of protein Mm -hmm. so if things you know if people want to have a sandwich for example um what i would recommend is that people have a little bit of some fat on that sandwich and a little bit of protein so that might mean that they have a little smidge of butter mm-hmm. and um, a piece of chicken with some veggies. So a mm-hmm. chicken sandwich, you know, that that will be a much lower glycemic index and glycemic load than just having a couple of slices of white bread with honey on them, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's about – because protein and fat 
slow that release of glucose as well in that way that's managing the body. Yeah, so that, you know, so many talk about that three o'clock in the afternoon, the slump, right? Mm. So if you have a chicken sandwich at one o'clock, that'd be much better than if you've been sort of trying to keep it up with just having an egg and then feel, and then a couple of biscuits or something. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so where people, what I see often in um, people who work in the city, I've seen this so often with so many clients, they'll get up in the morning and they'll have a couple of pieces of toast, maybe with some jam. And then they go to work and they might have a muffin at morning tea. Yes. Then they might have um, some pasta at lunchtime. Mm. And then they might have, by 3 o'clock, they've had more carbohydrates than anything else. And so what they do is they get to this 3 o'clock slump time and then they're looking for what can I have next. And that's when the chocolate or the biscuits come with the extra coffee. And then they go home and then they at home is when they get their piece of steak or their chicken or their fish with some veggies and they actually feel okay at the night time, but the, the, if they had meals more like that with a little bit of protein, a little bit of fat and loads of um, vegetables for the carbohydrates, they'd have a much more even um, distribution, distribution of the blood sugar out throughout the day and they wouldn't have these you know, rampant peaks and drops that they'd have to try and manage with other you know, poor quality food choices. Yeah. 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 And of course, I mean, uh, I remember in our research around the dear body also coming across this comment that, you know, we've never lived in more abundance. We've never, ever, ever had to manage um, uh, our our intake to the same extent. I mean, the rich in any culture, of course, have had similar issues. And, and you know, I, I think, you know, the, the French aristocracy used to have these vomit buckets like mm. the Romans did, right? They did. The so, so we have never been good at, ca- at handling that abundance. Mm. Mm. And of course, we've never had so many food outlets and been surrounded by so many delicious smells mm. all the time. Um, and I know that more, you know, it, it bothers me when we when we kind of make this obesity an individual problem because it's mm. so many more things as that. It's this mm. abundance which our biology tells us you go for it and get the good things yeah. when you can, right? Um, and then there's it's infrastructure, it's culture, so many things. But, um, yeah, do you yeah. want to say a little bit about how our bodies are kind of, you know, designed to get the good food? Well, they are. Can? I mean, you know, I think, I think often I think our environment and our world has – um, changed so rapidly, but our bodies haven't. No. Um, uh, we like to think that there, we're, we're these amazing machines, and and we are for what for what we're meant to do. But what we're meant to do is, in times of famine, um, we utilize any energy stores in our body, which is fat. In times of feast, we would eat. We store up. We'd stock up. up. We'd yeah. stock up on that, so yeah. that like so a little that, squirrel, like a little squirrel, <laughs> like a bear that goes into hibernation. Yes. Um, like lions eat. Lions go and eat, and they'll eat and eat and eat until they are so full that all they can do is lay there on their back and just go, "Wow, that was that was awesome." But then they don't go looking for food no. for days and days and days. But we don't do that. We have these amazing amounts of We go back to Lorgine or whatever our coffee shop is the next yeah, morning, right? that's right. So we're constantly, you know, I, I would, I can pretty much guarantee you that 100% of my clients know when their next meal is coming and where it's coming from. It, it, it's, there's very few of my clients, if any, that would ever go, I actually don't know if I'm going to be able to eat tonight. Now, there are some people in Australia who have, unfortunately, yes. that predicament. But the vast majority, majority of us don't have that. Yeah. But we don't eat like that. We eat like this is our last meal. 
And so um, we eat bigger servings than we than we have, and and we have all the lashings that go with the the whatever food it is. And unfortunately, we don't ever give our body that famine time where we can give our body a bit of a break. I'm not suggesting that people go on fasts, by the way. Um, but we don't give our body a break and we don't have that time where we're eating a little bit less to try and um, balance out the energy that the body's storing. Mm. And, you know, people people do that at extremes when they go into dieting and detoxing, which ultimately is not particularly helpful because um, – during famine, our body would try not to give up too much yes. of the energy. Trying to so make it last. Got right? to make it last because yes. they, you know, you don't know when you get you it. You don't know when you're going to get it. So let's not go in. And we actually slow our metabolisms down yes. considerably by doing that. So um, there was a particular TV show where people would lose a lot of weight. And um, the American version of that um, looked at me- metabolic rates for contestants before and after. Mm-hmm. And after, even after they'd lost all the weight, their metabolic rate in some instances had halved. And, the and thinking it didn't bounce was, back. The thinking was that it would never come back to wow. full capacity. Wow. So it's really important to... Uh, Not play too much havoc with this dear body. so much. Yeah, the body yeah. needs love and support and, and it needs to be um, tended to with care yeah. and compassion. And I don't think we necessarily do that. No. And, of course, you know, in our programs we talk about collaboration, mm. like tuning in and listening mm. and, um, and and work with your body, listening to it rather than being at it wanting, you know, kind of suppressing it and forming it into something that your ego mm. thinks it should be, mm. which is often violent in, mm. in so mm. many ways, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And what's interesting too is that I think people are really uncomfortable with feeling hungry. Um. I'm not sure. What yeah, that's we think about. we should do something about it. Straight we should away. do something about that. Then we should um, eat. It's a justification for it. Yeah, I'm hungry, and 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 I think a lot of us eat when we're not even. It's just a habit. It's habitual. Yes. That it's seven o'clock or yes. eight o'clock, so I have to eat my breakfast, and yes. it's this time, so I have to yes. eat my. I drive in the driveway, and I think wine, 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 because yeah. that's the association yeah, I've yeah, created. Yeah. Right? yeah. So yeah. I, th- I think that's a, it's an interesting sort of paradigm we find ourselves in. Like you said, we've got um, copious amounts of food. We don't know what it's like to be hungry and yet when we get to a position where we go, oh, I've eaten too much and now I have put weight on, we we go into starvation mode and um, we're quite harsh on, on the body. Mm. So it's an interesting. And ourselves, it's so associated with shame, isn't it? Absolutely, you know, it's, it's really, with shame. you know, our body's kind of the the symbol of how much I've got my shit together. Yeah, isn't it? In oh, so yeah, many absolutely. ways. And you know, interestingly though, society continues to support that view. Mm. And um, uh, you know, when I lost the weight that I lost, after I lost that weight, I, I was treated differently this is when i was back in um in human resources but i was Mm. actually treated differently after i lost the weight Mm. i was taken much more seriously as an employee Mm -hmm. and was promoted after i lost the weight i was still the same person i was Mm. still so discrimination uh, absolutely happens in this space yeah and so um it's no wonder that young people are growing up with you know and developing um disordered eating Mm. male and female teenagers that's happening for now more and more um guys are getting um uh, developing disordered eating yeah um because there's this 
drive, cultural drive that we have to be a certain way and look a certain... And then also high anxiety and that makes us grab the wrong foods and then we feel the shame and it, yeah, sort of, it starts that whole diet binge cycle. Yeah, it's, so and it's a massive, sp- a massive spiral. It's very hard to come back from. You've got to find a circuit breaker for it. That's right. Which, of course... I would say is mindfulness of the body. Absolutely. So, so let's just finish off with. I know that so many parents, particularly mothers, mm. uh, talk to me about how scared they are for their young daughters. They mm. almost don't dare say anything about, "Oh, but you're putting on some weight," because mm. they think, "Oh, that'll scar them for life, and they'll send them off into this spiral of what we just talked about." Mm. Mm. Do you have no any? I mean, I always tend to say to them, "Darling, you sort yourself out, and you be the model." Yeah. Um, do you have any other tips as well? Look, for- I would agree entirely with that. And I'm not a parent, so um, it's a kind of a different view of the world, I guess. Mm-hmm. But but I think if parents um, actually model the behaviour and um, sit with their children and eat dinner with them rather than watch TV and model what good eating behaviour looks like, uh, healthy food choices, eating uh, not too much food, um, avoiding huge amounts of refined And just don't have them stuff. in the cupboard, right? Don't have them in the cupboard I mean, you used time. to use the thing with the traffic lights. Do you want to just – because there's don't such a – use the traffic lights? Yeah, I think you did. Yeah. Remember the, the, the red oh, light yeah, food? Oh, yeah, red, 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 green and um, yellow food. So red foods are – you know, maybe stop and have a bit of a think about this food. Um, doesn't mean that you should never eat it, but it might not be an everyday food. And then you've got the um, the orange or amber light, which is the, yeah, you could use this a little bit more in your diet than the red food, and but still it's not necessarily an everyday food. And the green light is just go for it. You know, mm-hmm. I often joke about my um, with my clients, um, if they want to eat salad vegetables, they can eat, eat it out of a chaff bag. Mm-hmm. Um, they can eat that much of it. Um, but it's it's about... You know, I think getting kids to understand that um, I remember telling one of my clients once that they should give their kid a piece of pizza because um, for whatever reason. And this client said, oh, he looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, it would actually help you to have your, your, your child to have an understanding that this is okay occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and not be so rules bound. Not, not be so rigid around it. Mm-hmm. And I think once the kids understand that you can have a little bit of this every now and then, but this is mostly what we eat, which is vegetables and some fruit and some lean protein. Um, I think they get a different message than than putting really strict rules on or no rules whatsoever. Mm. So the the happy truth, medium, have, happy medium. It's it's, it's there all, every time, isn't it? So yes. I think. I think setting setting yourself as a model is a great thing to do, um, and and certainly not imposing your anxiety around food and, and weight, weight on your children. Yeah, really and even if you thing. don't say a word, right through yep. osmosis, they get it. Yeah, they get it. Yeah. They get it. They see, you know, mum coming out and saying, "Does my bum look big in this?" Or, um, "Oh my goodness, I weigh this or much even today." Just mother not eating much, right? Yeah, no, I, I'm 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 on a diet now, or I'm, yeah. I'm just I won't have the, that. Yes. Yeah, yes. I think yeah. it does make a big difference. Yeah. Mm. 
Um, as perhaps the last thing is just that I'm observing sort of many people working so very, you know, very, very long hours mm. and therefore being completely dependent on Uber Eats and quick takeaways and not, I mean, some of it quite healthy food, mm. um, but nonetheless, you know, uh, not really knowing what is in the food. <laughs> and often when we're tired, we're tempted by foods that are perhaps not the best. Mm. Um, so, do you have any tips around planning? Because I think, you know, it's such an old-fashioned thing in a way to say, well, I spent a bit of time on Sunday to kind of shop and cut some things up. And, yeah. you know, what, what are some of the tips you have about um, that? One of the things that I often recommend is just keep eggs in the fridge. Mm-hmm. If you've got eggs, you've got an instant meal, really. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it takes two minutes to yes. make scrambled eggs or an omelette. You yes. know, it doesn't make much take much time. Um but planning is a really important thing and, and for me that's about it may not necessarily mean somebody has to stand in the kitchen for half a day on a Sunday mm. but if you're making something tonight if you've got making a great curry make extra yes and freeze some yes um, so that you've got something that's that's you know that you know what's in it you know that it's healthy food um, and to make double the amount of food, and freeze it really takes very little extra time than yeah. making a single dish. So just doing that's a really helpful thing. Mm. And eggs, seriously, are, are my biggest go-to in terms of that. Mm-hmm. The thing is that if people are weight, you know, trying to manage their weight, um, then uh, some of those foods um, that they may order from various restaurants and takeaways may have in one serving more calories than most people would eat in a day. Right. Or, or technically should eat in a day yeah. for weight maintenance. Right. So if if they're but I'm but I'm only having yes you know breakfast lunch and dinner but dinner is huge in mm-hmm. energy density. Um, a lot of people can't understand what's going on there. But I'm only eating three times a day. Right. So yeah, home cooking is always going to be better. Yeah. 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 Good. All right, hope that's helpful. Very helpful. Thank you so much. And, of course, do you want to say to the listeners where they can find you if you're based in Sydney? I am based in Sydney in the Inner West. Um, I can do face-to-face um, phone and Skype consultations, but my uh, my website is www.overallnutrition.com.au. I love that, Overall Nutrition. I know. There you go. And you didn't even have to buy it. It's yours. It's mine, yeah. So uh, overallnutrition.com.au is the place to find me. I'm also on um, Instagram and Facebook. Super. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's always um, lovely to speak to you because I think one of the things you offer in this space is the the common sense, the practical, and also you've been there yourself. So Mm. you know this. You know this stuff and there's no judgment in where people are at. It's kind of just going, how do you one one step at a time Mm. get into, into some healthier habits? Yep. Isn't it? Indeed. Thank you. Thank you.